0: Hey folks, this is To Know the Land, broadcasting for the Treaty Territories in the Mississauga of the Credit, a 93.3 FM at the University of Guelph. My name is Byron. The show is about our connections with the land base, how we interact with the land, how we learn about the land, how we defend the land. For today's show, I wanted to talk about, well, I wanted to talk about coyotes, their courting behaviors, and tell some stories about the things I've seen, and maybe read some books and cite from some papers that also describe the courting behaviors of specifically Eastern coyotes. I wanted to bring this up because last night, and I guess this morning, um, I was driving out near a forest where I have tracked coyotes before uh, and written about on the blog to knowtheland.com forward slash blog, you can find it. It's a, a tracking journal from December 25th, a couple of years ago. And on the 25th of December, I was out trailing these two coyotes that were hanging out together and just just observing their trail and, and noting that some of the behaviors reminded me of courting behavior. And I, I detailed the, the trip I detailed the, the outing. And then a few years later, I wrote another piece um, on January 27th from a different forest. The first forest was near Pickering, Ontario, uh, with, with Church Stouffville. And then uh, the second time I saw Courting Behavior was out at Bells Lake, which I recently spoke about in the context of Fishers, I think, in the last episode. Um. Bells Lake, pardon me, that was old body, pardon me, strike that. Um, Bells Lake is on the other side of Highway 6, Highway 10, other side of the 400, if you know uh, your local Southern Ontario highways and roads, um, sort of on your way up towards uh, Owen Sound or Collingwood Way from Toronto. And I just wanted to revisit this because it's getting to be that time of year where coyote courting behaviors can be found in the tracks. You can see them in the in the snow or in the mud. And it's good to revisit for myself so I remember the details when I'm teaching or sharing or just out in the field, and I can be like, oh, yeah, this correlates to what I've seen before. And also because it's so cool to learn about how other animals uh, interact and engage with reproduction and sexuality. And I don't want to impose ideas on them, but I, I, you can still sort of learn from them and interpret. And however much in the scientific field we don't want to anthropomorphize, I also want to relate. And I find that, I think it was Cornel West uh, in one of his books talks about how like, you know, one way that we would bring peace and understanding and this is way out of context and this I haven't read this in a long time ago so please forgive me but one way we could re- bring peace uh, between races is to understand that we're all sexual beings we all love and lust and, and care for each other in in physical sensual ways and if that can be related across like between humans can that also be understood through across species like, these other species mate, they reproduce. How does that, when, when, when we conceptualize that, can it help us understand them as more, as beings worth engaging with or knowing or understanding or caring for? I don't know. I think, I think it's just interesting. I've also been reading the book lately, uh, Sex at Dawn, uh, Prehistoric Origins of Modern Sexuality by Christopher Ryan and Cecilda, uh, Cecilda Jetha, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. But Sex at Dawn looks at a lot of uh, cultural assumptions of sexuality and sort of tries to debunk them from an anthropological or a biological point of view looking at like bonobos, chimps, apes, and humans, and, and how we interact sexually. So if it's coming up in the season for the coyotes, I've been thinking about it in the books. Why not revisit this topic and learn a little bit more? If you're not a fan of discussing uh, mating habits of other animals or courting behaviors of other animals, you can turn it off now. But if you want to learn something about it, stay tuned. So I'm going to read from a thing that I wrote a while ago, January 27th. I can't remember what year. Um, Only a couple years ago. But I'll start there, and then I'll probably pull from some other resources. On Saturday, we met up at Bells Lake Management Area in West Gray County to go tracking with the apprenticeship crew. A friend and I pulled up, and I noted the trail along the middle of the road between the tire tracks where it looked like some sort of canid had been walking along. The folks who were already there had already noticed this trail and were exploring other trails as well. As everyone arrived, we circled up and then decided to follow the trail into the woods and see what else we could figure out. We had to check out the trail and the size of the tracks a couple of times before we could really confirm that this was an Eastern Coyote that we were following. The way we confirmed this was to measure the individual feet and the stride length of the gates. I have to be honest that I say that I cannot remember the stride length or the trail width measurements as I didn't write them out. But I remember checking the foot measurements with the numbers from uh, Mark Albrock's "Mammal Tracks and Sign," and. The numbers we came up could have been on the very large size of Red Fox or in a good placement for a Coyote. But then we, then we noticed something else. There was another trail. And this trail had longer strides, definitely bigger feet, and the morphology that denoted a Coyote. Not only was it co- cool to confirm that it was a Coyote, but this sign added another layer of the reasoning to the idea that not only was this two coyotes but possibly a larger male alongside a smaller female. Started to give us some ideas of what could be happening between these two. Both the males and the females participate in courting behaviors during a physiological period known as proestrus where the uterus enlarges and the vaginal canal distends. This Proestrus period is similar to the traits, similar in traits to domestic dogs, in that this is when the vulva starts to swell and the blood or the sanguineous fluids um, begin to be seen in the female's urine. Both, oh, pardon me, male coyotes are attracted to the females, but the females are not quite receptive during this period. The proestr estrus period begins for coyotes around mid-December. And some courting behaviors can include uh, playful wrestling and chases, scent marking together, which includes scrapes and males urinating atop the female's urine or uh, scat deposits, grooming each other, body bumps or hip pushes or love shoves as I call them, um, sleeping curled up together, males sniffing or licking the females' genitals. After this proestrus phase, the estrus period begins. This period only lasts for about two to five days and is marked by females being receptive to males and mating behaviors such as mounting and and intercourse. After intercourse, uh, the scent marking routine switches with the males urinating first, followed by females marking atop the male's deposits. Of course, this is wasn't all happening on the in the tracks and the trails in front of us, but we started wondering aloud. Just a short way along the trail, we came across another beautiful sign. A scuffed up area where the snow had been scratched up into small narrow piles in the center. It was a scrape. Scrapes and other forms of scent marking are a big part of this pro period, typified by courting behavior. T- or typified by courting behaviors. If we missed the scrape only a few meters from the road, I don't think we would have felt as certain that they were courting, but the scrape in the snow really cemented it for me. I had trailed a, pale b- a pair of coyotes before on Christmas Day 2020 and seen similar behaviors. What I saw at Bell's Lake echoed what I'd seen in 2020. It looked like the female had come along, scraped by and scraped by a tree, Then the male came up afterwards and scraped atop the female scrape. I have read that this behavior often includes urination by both female and the male before each scrape, which I have seen before with eastern wolves in Algonquin Park, where a male was following a female, and everywhere she scent marked, he did as well. While I could not detect any urine or scat, in this particular coyote scrape that we found adjacent to the road, mating coyote pairs will scent mark in tandem as estrus approaches. One website that I was checking up mentions that not only do coyote feet have glands which deposit scent, the act of scraping may also uh, scatter and spread the scent of urine. The author also wondered, and I think this could make sense, if the coyote steps in their urine, could the scent then be carried and deposited as the coyote moves across the landscape, transferred from the ground, transferred to the ground from the pads and fur on their feet. You know, that seems to make sense to me. In another paper I was checking, you know, the researchers in Wyoming noted that ground scrapes were most common during the period of late December to early February, in what I would consider to be early middle of the mating season, when, when mating pairs, when mating pair bonds are being strengthened and reinforced. This scraping or double-scraping behavior seems to be an essential part of the coyote courting repertoire. We followed the coyotes for a while, encountering a smaller shrew, uh, snowshoe hare, red squirrel trails along the way. I remember there were times when the larger coyote, again, likely a male, moved in a direct register, and the other coyote, the female, moved in a side trot. The side trot is a faster gait than the slower direct register trot. And this can be shown by the presence of the track or the hind foot landing ahead and to the side of the track or the front foot. When the hinds, With the hinds to the side of the front, this allows them to travel a bit faster than the direct register trot without their feet hitting as they move. It was interesting to note the habits of these coyotes as they moved over the forested landscape. The two individuals would weave their way together and apart, together and then apart, their trails entwining and braiding across the snowy forest floor. The front feet would betray head turns when the coyotes would look off into the forest behind them, perhaps looking for the other coyote, or when they would look off to the side, perhaps picking up a distant scent in the wind. At one point, the two took different trails, with the smaller female crossing the ice over a frozen pond while the larger male went around the pond. Perhaps this was just chance, but I think it had more to do with the male understanding his own weight and the capacity for the ice to hold him or not. Now, I can't remember who saw it first, and it definitely wasn't me. I was face down in the snow measuring the females' tracks in an overstep walk up ahead. But, but everyone was at the edge of the forest admiring a snowless patch of white pine needles at the edge of a sunny field. The patch was nearly round, and on one side of the pine... Folks were looking at these patches, while on the other side of the pine, there was another patch free of snow, this time kind of grassy and more kidney bean shaped than circular. These were coyote beds. I'd seen other canid beds, including eastern wolf and red fox, but never coyotes. This was an awesome find. It was already an exciting trailing experience, but it kept getting better. My first thought was that the larger bed belonged to the male, but that the folks at the bed, checked the track sizes and noted that it was the female who had the larger bed and the male who had the smaller, rounder bed. Someone had mentioned that the bed could be smaller as the male curled up tighter to stay warmer as they were positioned more in the forest in the shade of the pine while the female was positioned closer to the field in what could have been lots of sun. In the second edition of Mammal Tracks and Signed by Mark Elbrock and Casey Mark Fireland they write that coyotes may choose bedding sites with a view of their surroundings and the places where scents and sound may carry. Otherwise, they bed in thickets or other cover that provide protection. These beds seem to be more the awareness-enhanced rather than protect protection-enhanced. Curious if this is due to the lack of common predators in this part of the world? Uh, If there were wolves or cougars, would the coyotes have different bedding strategies? There's a paper, Reproductive Biology of the Coyote, Integrating Mating Behavior, Reproductive Hormones, and Vaginal Cytology by researcher Eric Geese, G-E-S-E. And there's mention of coyotes sleeping curled against each other, but no mention of bedding adjacent to each other. And I wonder if this sleeping separately indicates or is indicative of the pair not demonstrating breeding behaviors, but instead are still courting. I wonder if the beds slowly get closer as the breeding season gets closer and the female tolerates more intimate advances from the male. After the beds, the coyotes made their way across a small, squishy wetland area under some cedars and into and across a couple of snowy fields. Another gait we noticed as the coyotes were making their way across the field was an overstep walk, which is characterized by the hind foot landing ahead of the track of the front foot on the same side of the body. This is a more chill pace. More chill than the side trot mentioned above, but still faster than a walk as the hind feet are landing further ahead than the fronts. This pattern of footfall, the width of the trail, and the lack of significant breaks or spaces in the rhythm of the footfall all indicate a relaxed gait. The other coyote trail was just to the right of this one and less than a meter away. We followed these trails uh, through the field through the cedars to the far edge of the field, sat down for lunch, and enjoyed the warmth of the sun. When the group got up, I fell behind again to take a couple more measurements and only caught up when folks had found another great discovery. In the shade of a cedar grove, the cedar trails led up to the base of a tree, and there, set on the snow like a ray of sunshine, was a small spot of urine dotted with blood. This is the gift of the season, full of possibility, and potentially translating to the future of offspring of these two coyotes. In one paper I read, this bloody discharge can begin in early December, which would correlate with what we saw on January 14th. Males are very aware of females during this period and appear ready to go, but the females won't allow the males to mount. While this blood or sanguinous fluids as researchers, researchers call it, is very exciting. It's worth noting that it's only a small amount, and none was noticed in the bed along the long snowy trail, or in the scrape seen at the start of the day. This could indicate that the estrus period had not yet come into full swing, and we were still observing signs of the pro-estrus courting behaviors. Remember, coyotes are monoestrus, meaning they come into heat only once a year, usually for only about a 10-day period at max. This mating period is preceded by a pro-estrus period, which is when the courting behavior occurs. This courting period can last up to two months, and this, I believe, is what we are witnessing along those two trails. Getting the chance to follow along and watch the intimate lives of other animals can feel a little awkward in the retelling. I don't want to come across as voyeuristic, but instead as being witness to the possibility of a litter of new life. Coyotes are often maligned species where the conversation surrounding them is often of management and control, loaded with tones of fear and frustration. But following these two highlights an in inv- in individuation and animism which we don't afford coyotes very often. I hope only to remind of the struggle to survive, adapt, and thrive amidst the persecution they endure. Reflecting on the day, I feel like it's a study in the mess of courtship with many of us can relate to, and it feels like the news I wish to see, I wish I saw more of. First kisses, late night dinner parties with old friends, meeting a newborn family member. It's the joy of being and relating to others in deep, meaningful ways in a way in, in a world which often separates and isolates, harms and hinders. It's romantic as hell, and I love it. I am inspired by this trailing adventure, and I'm eager for more. Deep gratitude for those two coyotes and for the crew who I got to track them with. So again, this was an, uh, a blog post I wrote examining. Coyote Courting Behaviors, Tracking at Bell's Lake in January January 27th. I guess that would be probably 2022 is my guess. So it's it's not long ago, but still long enough that it didn't happen this year. I wanted to read. Oh, if, yeah, if you want to check that out, it's to know Um Or you can Google search examining coyote courting behaviors, tracking at Bell's Lake it should come up. But I wanted to read a section from Behavior of North American Mammals from Mark Albrock and Kurt Reinhardt, because this has a section on courtship and mating. And again, there'll be a lot of overlap. This is just a small couple of paragraphs. There'll be a lot of overlap to what I've already said, but to hear it in different voices, um, to hear different authors describing it, I'm sure will help us understand it better and then also probably offer more information that I didn't include in my retelling of the story of trailing those two coyotes. Courtship and mating. Male-female pairs may mate together for up to 12 years, but not necessarily for life. Females have one heat or estrus sometime between January and March, depending on the geography and the age of the female. Courtship begins as early as two to three months before breeding. There's a notable increase in scent marking and howling at the beginning of the breeding season, and alpha males become increasingly attracted to the alpha females' urine and feces. The alpha pair also exhibit more aggression toward other members of the pack, as if to reinforce their hierarchy, so as to dissuade others from intervening or participating in the mating season. This period known as proestrus is longer in the coyote than in other canids suggesting that the pair bond may be especially important for coyotes mating pairs scent mark in tandem as estrus approaches which may help to synchronize their bodies and provide greater chance of reproductive success as a female enters estrus blood will be visible in her urine in snow before mating females initiate nearly every paired scent-marking behavior. She squats and pees, and the male comes over to smell her urine and then lifts the leg to squirt urine adjacent to hers. After mating, the roles reverse, and the males often pee first, with the female adding scent afterwards. Female coyotes are in estrus for only two to five days each year. When she's ready for copulation, she will flag her tail to the side and tolerate mounting attempts. Coitus is brief, but the bulbous glandus at the base of the penis swells and becomes wedged in the vagina, resulting in a copulatory tie. The male usually steps over the female's rump, and the two remain connected rump to rump for up to 25 minutes. Food supply and related coyote densities are the primary factors governing the number of reproductive females in a population. When prey populations are high and food is abundant, 60-90% 60-90% to 90% of adult females, and up to 70% of yearling females in a population breed. In some packs, the alpha male will, make, will mate with two females, and numerous pairs without territories will breed as well. When yearling females participate in the breeding season, they typically mate later in the breeding season than mature females. Again, that was the section on uh, courtship and mating from... Behavior of North American Mammals by Mark Elbrock and Kurt Reinhardt. It's a very useful book, and I think I've, I've quoted a lot from uh, Donna Naughton's Natural History of Canadian Mammals. But if you want a smaller book to learn about a lot of the mammals we have around here, um, The Behavior of North American Mammals is good. If you want a thorough book, much more thorough with more species and more details building on Mark and Kurt, Kurt, Kurt's work than, uh, yeah. Donna Naughton is the prime choice. It's a very, very good book. I read, I read from almost every episode I do a species profile on a mammal. So it's gotta be make sense. Um, I'm going to read another Mark Albrock resource. This is uh, Mammal Tracks Inside, a a Guide to North American Species, the second edition. Mark Albrock with contributions from Casey McFarland, published in 2019 by Stackpole Books. And I just wanted to read the section on uh, urine and scent marking behaviors because it goes a little bit into the scent marking behaviors uh, during courting. Coyotes urinate on elevated surfaces, old stumps, low foliage, and anywhere else that might hold and spread scent. They use urine to scent-mark territories and communicate sexual status and pack status with one another. When the female is in estrus, her urine is orange to red colored by blood. When in full estrus, blood may drip from the vulva as she moves. Author and tracker Paul Resendiz shared pictures with me of a female's coyote bed, where puddles of blood had formed where she lay down. During estrus, pair bonding becomes especially apparent. Look for double scent posts, one with blood in the urine and the other without. Often, one animal squats and the other raises a leg. A study by Jason Ruff uh, in 1997 found that 60% of urinations by alpha males were with a raised leg and 25% were in standing forward lean positions, both typical dominance displays. 92% of female urinations were done while squatting. They also found that females in alpha pairs initiated double marking 75% of the time. That's neat to know. It's not all the time. It's 75%. So that means 25% of the time, the males are marking first. Interesting. Coyotes have scent glands between their toes, and they often scratch adjacent to scats or urine. Scratches are narrow, short scrapes in earth or snow where debris may be thrown up to 10 feet or 3 meters. Unlike controlled scraping of cats, canids make scrapes with rapid, repetitive, forceful swipes of their paws. These scrapes are more often done with only the hind feet, but may also be done with front and hinds, leaving two depressions in the ground. Transient coyotes, those without territories, scent mark much less frequently than the residents and in one study were never observed to scratch the ground after defecations or urinations, a behavior that that is exhibited by coyotes holding a territory. Alpha pairs are the primary defenders of the pack's territory and scent mark much more frequently along the edges of their territory than in the interiors, which are also areas prone to intrusion by neighboring coyotes. Allen et al. Uh, also noted that coyotes do not overlap their scent marks; thus, each coyote pack marks along the periphery, but also within its own territory, rather than crossing over to scent mark in a neighboring territory. Coyotes also roll in dead animals, the trails of other animals, and usual suspects—they di- or us- unusual objects that they discover. This behavior is poorly understood in some instances it appears that they are scent marking the area while in others they may be trying to pick up a scent on which they're rolling. So it extended a little bit beyond the courting behaviors, but that was from Mammal Tracks and Sign. uh, Second edition by Mark Albrock with contributions by Casey McFarlane on Stackpole Books, released in 2019. So here, where I am in Guelph, Ontario, uh, the snow is starting to melt back, and it's going to be above zero temperatures for a little while, so it's going to be harder to trail coyotes for such a long way. I wonder, I mean, some areas will be muddy still, but I wonder if examining the area around Coyote Scout, which is still can commonly be found if looking around those areas looking for blood marks um, would be a useful tactic in figuring this out even if there are no signs of, of no no long snowy trails to follow I'm not good enough at tracking yet to to do debris tracking like following through like old leaves uh, forest floor cedar cedar leaves that have fallen i can't i can't see the trail um, yet so it's going to be harder to to trail them without the snow but there's still more time like these papers and and articles have said um, we have until mid-march to trail them and so the snow might come back i hope the snow comes back and in my area, I've heard repeatedly that the height of coyote mating period, that the season of, of coyote mating, is actually in the middle of February on February 14th, which I've always found to be kind of beautiful that Valentine's Day is their peak breeding day for, for the Eastern coyote. I'm going to read one last paragraph. Because it's going to offer a little bit more, and that will be from Donna Noton's *Natural History of North American* or *Natural History of Canadian Mammals*. This is put out by the Canadian Museum of Nature and uh, the University of Toronto Press. I think in 2012, if not 2012, 2011, but I think it's 2012. I don't want to check because <laughs> it's a, its just going to take more time. Um, so I'm going to read this this paragraph. And then that might be it. Reproduction. Canadian coyotes mate between February and April, but pre-copulatory behavior begins two or three months earlier. Females experience a single heat annually that lasts two to five days. The percentage of females that breed varies based on food availability and their individual physical condition. Typically, 60 to 90% of adult females and 0 to 70% of yearlings produce a litter in any given year. Copulation terminates in a copulatory tie similar to that of domestic dogs that typically lasts 15 to 25 minutes. After a 58 to 63 day gestation period, 1 to 10 pups are born. So it's 58 to 63 day gestation period. One to ten pups are born, typically in late April or May. The average litter contains six pups. The litter size is directly related to the mother's nutritional status and well-fed females have larger litters. Pups are born blind and helpless with a fuzzy grey-brown coat. Their eyes open 10 to 12 days after their birth and their ears become erect around the same age. The pups begin to appear at the mouth of the den when they're about three weeks old, at which they start to eat solid food, which has been regurgitated by parents and sometimes older siblings. Weaning occurs gradually and is usually complete by the time the pups are six to eight weeks old. Soon afterwards, they're able to follow adults to large prey or carrion. Between the ages of eight to 12 weeks, pups follow their foraging parents most commonly their mother, learning skills that they will need in order to hunt for themselves. Juveniles are adult-sized by the age of 9 to 10 months and may breed as yearlings if they are well-nourished. But most commence breeding as 2-year-olds. Again, that was from Natural History of Canadian Mammals by Donna Naughton from the University of Toronto Press. Oh dear. Um. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder, I've never seen a coyote pup. I've seen fox kits um, in sort of a a gray, what are they called? Gray field? Brown brown field in, in Guelph here. But I've never seen coyote pups. And I wonder if they have more, because they're larger, do they have more? Tenuous relationship with with human populations. Or do they mostly hang out on the edges of town? I believe I found den sites of coyotes based on the size of the holes and where they were located. It seemed appropriate for a den site for a coyote, but I'm not certain. And I guess that wouldn't be till till May when there's hard tracking. <laughs> Hard, it would be some pretty hard trailing in this part of the world to, to find them. But can always look, especially if these uh, sites are at the edges of farm fields, which I've heard stories of. Those little islands, uh, tree islands that are left behind by a lot of farmers can uh, either separate fields or like the hedgerows even. Those can be sites of coyote dens. I should look more... Commonly, or ask different researchers more about coyote dens and where they might be. Speaking of which, there's a researcher out west in Calgary or Edmonton that I would like to talk to again about a recent paper that they put out, Sage Raymond, who I have a show on. Um, we I did an interview a while ago, but they released some new papers on scat of coyotes and zoonotic diseases, which I'm interested in. So I may hit them up and learn more. But coyotes always hold that special place in my heart. They they are so amazing, and I could wax philosophical about them for a long time. But even even in their immediate bodily form, when I see one, I am so impressed. I was driving home from Coeo last weekend. The Council of Edouard Educators of Ontario. Uh, they have a conference, a winter conference every year, and I was driving home and saw another coyote in a field, and just immediately slowed the car down, pulled a U.E., and how receptive or perceptive the the coyote is to notice that this car had stopped and is doing something unusual triggers uh, sort of cautious behavior on the coyotes part to stop moving forward in the direction that they were going in but instead to stop entirely turn back stop again turn back stop again and they watched the car to see if anything would change but they noted you know this behavior is different from the norm the norm is for the cars to keep going in the direction that they're in and not stop and for these coyotes pick up on that to perceive this small difference you just know that, like, it radiates intelligence and observation skills. Someone asked me recently if I could pick any animal, I, I to turn into or to perceive like, and I kept—I've never said coyote, but maybe, maybe it is coyote. I'd pick. I don't know. I don't know. Well, who would you pick if you could pick any animal that you want to be? Who would you pick? I don't know. I said an aphid, or a spider, or a fisher. Aphid and spider, because their their ways that they perceive the world would be so, so different than my own, I'm sure, that it would be fun to learn about. But, I don't know. It's not going to happen, I doubt it. So, yeah. I hope that y'all get out and get the chance to to see your own coyote courting behaviors written in the snow or the mud or whatever substrate you're working with. I hope that you, too, eventually get to see a day where you see from a good, safe distance for both you and them, uh, coyote dens with, with some pups. Or you see the pups with their parents. Because that would be a, a beautiful thing to see. Uh, if you want to learn more about the show, you can always go to toknowtheland.com. You can always check out Instagram at toknowtheland. You can always email me to know the land at gmail.com if you're interested in supporting the show you can go to to know the land.com forward slash donate and i just want to send a shout out to to judy for for throwing down and supporting the show that means a lot to me um i appreciate your support uh in the show your ideas your thoughts thank you so much think that's it. That's all. Take care.